Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Blaney's podcast. As in the other two podcasts, this one is being done remotely. I am at my home. Uh, Chad is uh, either at his home or hiding out at the office. And uh, Varjan Armand is uh, a producer and will be contributing today as well, I believe, is at home, all being uh, miked remotely through the uh, miracle of the internet. So today we're going to be talking about the Construction Act, construction projects, and the impact that the uh, COVID pandemic has on construction in Ontario, and more specifically on the laws that govern the construction in Ontario. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, to you and say hello to my partner, Chad. Uh, Chad Kopach, uh, how are you, Chad? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lou. Thanks. And how is isolation and social distancing uh, treating you? It's uh, it's all right. Um, with four kids at home, I'm glad I made the purchase of the trampoline pre-COVID, uh, pre-shutdown, and that's saving the sanity of the children. Uh, and the dog is saving the sanity of my spouse and I. So we are doing all very well. That's great. We are here to talk about the Construction Act. And I understand that you're one of the uh, appointed adjudicators uh, under the uh, the new act. And uh, maybe before we, we go much further, you can tell us a little bit about what an adjudicator does and uh, how that works uh, within the uh, the new act. Sure, yeah. So I'm sure as, as most listeners uh, are aware, the Construction Act uh, had some pretty fundamental changes that came into uh, place over the last couple of years. The first was in July of 2018. It modernized some of the timelines and some of the provisions in the Construction Act and changed the name from Construction Lean Act to Construction Act. And then uh, more recently, in October of, two, of 2019, uh, we brought in uh, prompt payment, which is something that's familiar to most jurisdictions in North America. Uh, the, the key to prompt payment is there's a 28-day uh, deadline to pay from the owner down to the contractor level. Uh, and also brought in the concept of adjudication, which is not as well understood in, in uh, North America. Uh, the idea with adjudication is that if there's disputes that arise on projects that are started after October of 2019, those disputes, instead of having to wind their way through the court or through an arbitration, taking, let's face it, years to come to a, a determination from a judge or a master, uh, the idea is that you'll get a, a determination from an adjudicator within 46 days. So I'm very proud to be one of the first adjudicators in the province of Ontario uh, by the uh, entity called the Ontario Dispute Adjudication for Construction Contract Contracts, uh, ODAC for short. That's the authority that administers the adjudication program, um, most of which can be done online, it's, which is a, another very important um concept in in these days of of social isolation and social distancing speaking of which um uh, social isolation and social distancing um in, towards the middle of march the government of ontario instituted or legislated a number of orders under the emergency management and civil protection act and we're going to be talking about some of those orders today and how it impacts the construction industry let's first of all talk about the impact, the or, one of the orders issued uh, in March and then again in April, uh, suspending the limitation periods, uh, the impact that had on the construction generally in Ontario initially, and then uh, what, what issues occurred thereafter and how it was remedied. 
Sure. The suspension of the limitation period came in in the middle of March. Uh, I believe it, it came in on March 17th or 18th. Uh, retroactively suspending limitation periods in Ontario to March 16th. That's important. You know, this came in at a time when the courts were closing or had closed and, and had no date set for, for reopening, which you know, we're still there as of the, the taping of this this uh, podcast. Uh, as well, lawyers' offices were, were starting to close down their physical premises and starting to work remotely, um, creating some difficulties for access to justice for civil claims. So the uh, provincial government decided that they would suspend limitation periods. So if, if a, a deadline to sue uh, was coming up, then that would be suspended. Um, the idea was they didn't want people to be prejudiced by not being able to get to court to, to press their actions. So this this had the effect, though they weren't uh, they they were overly broad in in their determination of what limitation periods and and just decided that all limitation periods in Ontario are suspended for construction. It was important uh, to note that the time to lien was uh, was suspended. And that's normally uh, sixty days from the date uh, the last date of supply on a construction project. Yeah, it depends on when the when the project was was commenced. If it was something that was a, call it the pre-July 2018 projects, and it was 45 days. But if it was after that, it's 60 days. Uh, but regardless of whatever the the time period is, that clock stopped as of March 16th of of 2020. So that meant really that everybody in a construction project had the right to lean forever until further notice from the government. Yeah, if your lien rights had not yet expired as of that date, then the idea was, well, perhaps not forever, but just to no set date in the future. The idea is that at some point, this order, you know, normalcy will descend and this order will be rescinded. But yeah, until that happens, then yes, the, the clock stops for the, uh, for the lien periods. That must have wreaked havoc with respect to holdbacks and the release of holdbacks. Yeah, that was the one... Uh, one significant and unintended consequence. The, the payment of the holdback, the 10% holdback obligation comes at the end of the project. And and the, in the wording of the Construction Act, it, holdback gets paid once the time to lien has expired. So the one thing that the government didn't, I think, take into account is by extending the time to lien, they were, in essence, the result was that owners were not able to pay the uh, the holdback at the end of projects because obviously if the lien rights never expire or haven't expired or don't expire then the holdback cannot get paid and that was causing some significant issues at the general contractor level but just the nature of these construction projects it didn't end there it also meant big problems with cash flow down to the um, down to the subcontractor level and and so on so then what did the government do to remedy the situation? Well, I will say they, they listened to the lobbying efforts of, of the construction industry. Um, everyone from the Ontario General Contractors Association, Toronto Construction Association, uh, the, any industry participants who, who were able to did uh, pick up the phone, write letters, and got in touch with, uh, with those who make the decisions, including our own uh, Leah Nebel, our partner, who's the chair of the OBA Construction and, and Infrastructure Law section, 
uh, got in touch with the government and made them aware of this unintended consequence and asked them to to remedy it. And happily, uh, late last week, uh, April 9th, I believe it was, the Attorney General did come out with an announcement that the uh, that that suspension of the limitation period for the purposes of the Construction Act uh, would be lifted, but it wasn't immediate, uh, which is an important an important issue uh, because obviously if you had, for example, two days left to lean when this suspension came in, and an immediate lifting would mean your rights would r- start to run again right away. So the the government gave a bit of notice. Uh, and the lifting of this of the limitation period suspension or the reinstitution it might be a better way of phrasing it comes into effect on the 16th of April one of the other orders made under the emergency management and civil protection act was an order that dealt with the closure of places of non-essential business the government determined that it was in the best interest to protect the health and safety of the people of ontario to only allow essential businesses to remain open. So, Chad, what impact did that kind of order have on the construction industry? Well, I, I should preface this with saying that the day the the emergency declaration was made, uh, Premier Ford made it very clear that construction is of paramount importance to the economy in Ontario. And it was one of the only uh, industries mentioned uh, by name in in that first speech, uh, the the first list of essential services or essential workplaces was relatively lengthy, seventy some odd uh, in in number, including a number of construction related uh, items. More recently, and as of the fourth of April, that list has been uh, cut back significantly. So the number of of essential workplaces has been cut back now to 44. So construction still does figure prominently. Um, it, it, there are six different types of construction uh, that, are, that are exempted and that are, de- are deemed to be essential. Though as, as you would expect, uh, we are seeing those essential services being restricted to uh, those relating to the healthcare sector, um, building new facilities or expanding and renovating spaces that can be repurposed for healthcare. Um, and critical infrastructure projects, projects of, the, of that sort that are uh, essential to, to the health and well-being of, of citizens of the province. What about uh, residential construction? Was that continued to be seen as an essential business or an essential service? In, in certain circumstances. They're, they're, residential construction is a, uh, a, a separate uh, item that is that is permitted but only in certain circumstances so and they've the government has, has divided up into to three different types so the first is for single family semi-detached in townhomes as long as there was a footing permit in place which is one of the first permits that uh, that is applied for and, and given in in new construction new residential constructions as long as that footing permit was in place then that is an essential workplace uh, the second type is for condominiums, mixed use, and other uh, residential buildings, as long as they achieved an above-grade structural permit. So as long as you know most of the all the footing work had been done, permitted and done, and they were now onto the, the above-grade structural work as of April 4, then that was con- uh, considered to be an essential service. And the last 
the last provision uh, is in respect of renovations to residential properties. So there's no reference in, in this to permits being made. So the query, what this actually refers to, I think it probably means sort of your your typical home reno where you don't need a permit uh, if it's if it's of that sort. So as long as that work, as long as that construction work was started before April 4 of 2020, then that also falls under essential services. Now let's talk about residential um, construction and uh, at this point in time, uh, I'm going to call on the expertise of uh, Varjan Arman, uh, who's not only our producer and engineer, but uh, a crackerjack lawyer on top of everything else. Uh, so Varjan, can you tell me what experience you had with uh, the expansion or reinterpretation of the word residential? And, and can you give us uh, an idea of the case you were involved in? Sure. So yeah, I had a client that recently needed some advice on um, the topic of hotels. Hotels uh, that are under new construction that aren't yet have their doors opened and ready for business uh, fall into a bit of a funny, I guess, a gray zone. And the general contractor on these projects wanted uh, the work to continue going ahead. Our client is a subcontractor who's faced with the difficult task of determining for themselves, you know, in the, in the face of substantial pressure from the general contractor to keep the projects rolling and show up uh, for work on the day that um, they're supposed to, you know, is this an essential workplace or not? And a couple of interesting considerations came up. Um, one of the first positions some of the general contractors have taken out there is that a building that is a new construction that could be repurposed for healthcare space is essential and, and should therefore continue. And so we looked at that pretty carefully and section 27 of the essential services or essential workplace uh, list from the province has an important um, prerequisite in it. It says construction projects and services associated with the healthcare sector, including new facilities uh, and conversions of space that could be repurposed for healthcare space. So an interesting question arises there as to what does it mean to be associated with the healthcare sector? And that's the sort of prerequisite as I understand it. Varj, are you telling me that this general contractor argued that a new hotel could fit into that the definition of associated with the healthcare sector? Yes, that's exactly what they intended to argue. Uh, on, on the thinking that you know, a hotel is a bunch of useful empty space that could be easily converted to you know, healthcare space to house hospital beds. You know, fair point, but I don't think that's what Section 27 of the Essential Services list says. And um, to be associated with the healthcare sector, well, I, there's no definition for that. Or I don't know what that means to be associated with the healthcare sector in some way, but I think we can probably agree that a hotel doesn't have any kind of pre-standing, pre-existing association with the healthcare sector. I presume that didn't stop the general contractor from coming up with other creative ideas. <laughs> You'd be correct. Um, another creative one, perhaps the most creative one, was to argue that um, the definition in the building code for residential occupancy includes hotels. So that's an interesting uh, line of thinking to try and try and draw on definitions contained in other provincial legislation. But I think we were able to dispose of that one in, in fairly short order, given that the building code is really designed and purposed to ensure the safe construction of buildings in the province. It's not, you know, conclusively to be the be all and end all for what constitutes an essential uh, service in the province. Of course, when the Building Code Act was drafted, we didn't know that the COVID-19 pandemic was coming. 
Back to you, Chad, just for a minute. I mean, what would happen if a construction project in midstream uh, becomes a non-essential uh, business or non-essential service? W what happens to the rights of the parties in the middle of that construction project? Do they just stop and go home? And how, how does that work? And who are there any default provisions that people have to pay a fine or a penalty? Can you explain that? Sure. Under the um, the most recent list of essential workplaces, one of the one of the items that is permitted to continue is the temporary you know, construction and maintenance activities to temporarily close construction sites that are paused or not active because of this um, because of this declaration. And it's not an if. Like there are thousands of construction projects across Ontario that don't fall within this new expanded definition and have had to temporarily suspend. So the question then is whether, whether there's a contractual provision that applies. Most contracts do, and you know, we'll focus, I think, for, for a discussion today on the CCDC documents, the most widely used uh, set of documents, standard form construction documents, in, certainly in Ontario. And the, the question or the, the, the debate is whether the provisions of the, the CCDC that deal with a stop work order are are applicable, or whether we're talking about the provisions of the CCDC that talk about delay due to, doesn't use the word force majeure, but it's force majeure type or act of God type delay. So the reason this is important is because the unmodified CCDC documents usually say that where a contractor is delayed due to a stop work order issued by a court or other public authority, then they get to extend the time to perform their contract duties um, by the at least by the period of the delay, plus they get their costs of of the, that extension. So it, those costs can be mobilization and demobilization costs. They can be increased labor costs. Uh, there's no manner. There's no end to the manner of of costs that can be looked at as possibly applying in those circumstances. But if this falls under the force majeure type delay, then all that the contractor is entitled to is an extension of the time. They do not get their costs typically of of the of the delay. So uh, that's that's the ongoing debate. That's the discussion that's being had right now. Uh, different parties to this uh, to these agreements have different views of on what what applies and whether there is an entitlement to costs or not. That's interesting. I don't suppose anybody ever considered a pandemic when they drafted the CCDC contract. But uh, I think that's why this is such an unusual uh, set of circumstances we find ourselves in. We're trying to squeeze the law into facts and, and events that uh, no one thought of at the time legislation was drafted or contracts were drafted. That's what makes our, our job so so interesting. Chad, before I leave the uh, the construction project, I presume the usual regulations or, 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 or I guess orders dealing with uh, physical distancing and social distancing and the other care and, and protocols called for during this pandemic apply to construction projects. Sure, there's no exemption to the, to the requirements um, imposed on, uh, on individuals to, to socially distance and, and to main sa maintain safety. Uh, in that respect, just because they're doing construction, uh, and ultimately enforcement of that uh, is is contractually in the in the normal course is something that's taken on by the contractor, 
they are responsible for the health and safety of the workers for the most part. Um, again, that, that's all something that can be negotiated in the, in the pre-construction uh, negotiation of the contract, but that's what you usually see. So, so you are going to be seeing these contractors taking a hard look to make sure, you know, are they on side uh, of the, uh, the list of essential workplaces to avoid any enforcement issues um, if they do violate that, but then also to make sure that they are ensuring a safe workplace and a safe workplace in the spring of 2020 uh, looks significantly different than a safe workplace may have looked in, say, the fall of 2019. Okay, so let's uh, let's finish this off by uh, by telling people where they can get a, a hold of you, Chad, if they have any questions uh, about the Construction Act or anything else we talked about. Sure, I am at ccopach c k o p a c h at blaney.com, or always available on the business phone linked up to my cell phone. My number is four one six five nine three two nine eight five. Thank you, Chad, and good luck with the trampoline and the dog. Uh, Varjan, what about you? Where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you uh, to talk about any of the other questions or issues that we uh, talked about today? For me, it's Varman, V-A-R-M-A-N, at Blaney.com. And uh, same protocol with my office phone. You can reach me by phone at 416-596-2884. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Take care, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in the office soon.